Before we turn to our text, I want to say thank you for the gifts uh, that you gave my family and me last week. And uh, I'll say thank you for Ethan as well, because I know he would like me to do that, would want me to do that. Um, you guys uh, really are an amazingly generous church, and your, your gifts are, uh, both make me, uh, both humble me and make me very grateful. Um, they, they remind me of how deeply I, I don't deserve your generosity, but also of how gracious our Father is that he would allow me uh, to do this work. I often uh, sit up in my study and just think, I get paid to do this. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, when, when, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for how gracious our Father is that he would allow me to do this work and give me such a, a great and generous and kind and patient congregation. So I'm, I'm very thankful for you all. Of course, it's, it's fitting that I would uh, come this morning thinking about uh, uh, being grateful for the role that God has given me because uh, this morning we're going to be talking about church leadership. We are, as I mentioned earlier in the service, we're not, we're not back in John quite yet. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. So uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And before I, I read that, uh, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus as the good shepherd and as the chief shepherd, as the one who watches over the sheep. We pray, Father, that you would uh, give us wisdom as we think about what your word says about uh, under shepherds and other leaders in the church. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would help us to understand uh, the, the way you shepherd your people uh, through uh, under shepherds rightly, and uh, that we would um, understand everything as a sign uh, of, of your grace and of your mercy at work in our lives. Uh, give us wisdom, uh, soften our hearts by your spirit, direct us uh, to your truth this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be te tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless." Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, 
not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You are on the front lines of ministry. At the way God has structured his church, uh, if you are a believer in Jesus, you're on the front lines. Uh, My role is to support you, encourage you, and equip you. Everything that the church as an organization does supports what you, the church as an organism, does. Uh, You go out into the world. You love your neighbors. You serve your families. You fulfill your callings. You serve Jesus in your work and maintain a faithful witness so that God is glorified among non-Christians because of you. And my role is, is to support you, to serve you in that calling. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. He says, uh, and he, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See, my role is an equipping role. Your role is ministry in the world, employing whatever gifts God has given you. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10. He says, as each, that is everyone in the body, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And to serve there in 1 Peter 4.10 is the same word as to minister in other places. That's the same Greek word translated serve and minister. So I minister to you, I I serve you, and you go out from here and you minister and serve in whatever area of life God has placed you with whatever gifts God has given you. Another way of putting it is is this, the purpose of what we do here is that you would, would go out and live a life worthy of the gospel. That's Philippians 1.27. See, the, the purpose of our teaching is, is not to fill your head with theology. Now, I love theology. I could read theology all day long. It's my joy and delight. But that's not the goal of our teaching. Now, you might think, okay, Luke, uh, I'm not sure that sounds right. Uh, the theology is not the goal of Bible teaching. It's not. It's true. And, and uh, that wasn't the goal of Paul's teaching. And so it shouldn't be the goal of our teaching either. Here's how Paul puts his goal in 1 Timothy 1.5. He says, very straightforwardly, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Right? The aim, the end, the goal is love. And that makes sense, of course, because what are the two great commandments? The two great commandments are to love God and love neighbor. That's the goal love God and love neighbor. Theology is in there, it's a part of it, but it's not the goal, it's not the end. Our goal is that you would live a life of love. That's the, that's the front lines of ministry, that's the front lines of the Christian life. As you go out these doors and you, you love your husband or you love your wife and you care for your kids and you get to know your neighbors and you work hard and you serve Jesus in every sphere of life. That's the, the front lines of ministry for the church, that's our goal. 
Well, what does that make us, right? What does that make church leaders then? Uh, church leaders are our support staff, right? That, that, that's what church leadership is. We're, we are here to serve those who go out to serve. That's our job. Uh, our job is, is never to make much of us, but to help you make much of God in the way you live your life. Now, what I'm already beginning to talk about is uh, the, the way the church functions, and the technical term for that is church polity. How is the church structured? What is the purpose? What is the role of church leadership? What do we do? Uh, at our church, All Souls, is going to open up nominations for elders and deacons starting today. I'll talk more about that uh, after the service. But to nominate someone for one of those roles, you have to know what those roles are. What are they about? And so we're going to look at church leadership this morning. And uh, you may remember, if you were here, uh, that I preached on these things in the summer of 2017. There are some of you who remember that. Uh, I preached five sermons at that time. I preached on the shepherd's role and the shepherd's qualifications and the shepherd's authority and the shepherd's partner, meaning the deacon, and the shepherd's gender. And I'm not going to rehash everything I said in those five sermons this morning. You're you're thankful for that. Uh, I would encourage you, though, especially if you weren't here during that time, and if you're thinking about elders and deacons and, and what what they're all about, I would encourage you to, to go back and listen to those sermons, right? They're on our website. Uh, you can find them there under, uh, I think the title of the sermon series is The Shepherd Leader. It's, it, you, you can find it pretty easily. Um, they will say a lot more about the role of elders and deacons than I can possibly say this morning. And this morning, though, I just want to give the, the big picture. And, and, and to give that big picture, we're going to talk about three things. Uh, the necessity of church leadership, the qualifications for church leadership, and the role of church leadership. And again, I'm going to go much more quickly through those things than I did back in 2017. So if you, if you, if you are interested in church polity, as I am, uh, you, can, you can always go and listen to those sermons to learn more. So first, the necessity of church leadership. Uh, I, I could have called this point even the, the source of church leadership, right? Where does it, where does it come from? Uh, is this something we just made up? Uh, is, is church leadership something that leaders in the church make up for the sake of church leaders? Uh, of course, the answer is no. Uh, thankfully, as we look at Scripture, uh, church leadership actually comes out of the, the practical needs, the practical necessities of the church. Uh, again, the, the goal of the church is uh, to live life as God's image bearers, to represent him, to represent Jesus as people being remade in his image. And pastors, pastors and teachers are those whose job it is to equip, to serve the church so as to enable the church to fulfill its calling. God, through the gospel uh, preached, transforms us into the image of Jesus. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord in the scriptures in context are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. See, we are fundamentally a people being reshaped by the word of God, the grace of God found in the gospel. But there are other kinds of things that that need to be done. Uh, There are other practical things that have to happen for the work of the church to go forward, for for me to do my work and for you to do your work. 
And as we look throughout Scripture, what we find is that leadership in the church is, is there often to, to let the teachers be teachers and to help the church be the church. And of course, this begins not in 1 Timothy chapter 3, not even in the book of Acts or in the Gospels, but in the book of Exodus. You knew I was going to start in the Old Testament, right? I had to. Some of you did anyway. Uh, we, we heard the Exodus 18 passage read earlier, and there Moses spends all day judging the people. You might say Moses was doing conflict resolution, right? Uh, people uh, in the community were coming to him with disagreements, and Moses has to help them sort it out. And Moses' father-in-law tells him that he's going to wear himself and the people out as they wait around in line all day long to to talk with Moses, and he suggests that Moses appoint good men as judges to, quote, judge the people. And and what this does is free Moses up to do his job. Uh, Verse 19, we're told in that Exodus 18 passage that Moses represents the people before God and brings their cases to him. That is, Moses prays for them. He prays for the people. He brings them to his God. And then in verse 20, Moses makes them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do, which, which is to say Moses teaches them. So Moses prays for them. Moses teaches them. He prays for and teaches God's people. But Moses, of course, can't do anything. He's everything. He's one man. And so he appoints other men to work alongside him to share in the shepherding work. In Numbers 11, these men are explicitly called elders, and and there, 70 of them are selected for a more specific work. And and in Deuteronomy chapter 1, which retells the Exodus story, we're told that uh, the people choose the elders and Moses appoints them to their task. And so, so here's the picture that we get in Exodus. Moses has a job to do, to pray and teach the people. But other responsibilities arise in the church of that day to take him away from that work. And so the people choose and appoint, uh, the people choose and Moses appoints elders to help shepherd the people, freeing him to fulfill his work of praying and teaching. The the role of leadership arises from the practical necessities of church life. Any community has needs, right, beyond that of prayer and teaching. And so Moses responds to that need by appointing elders in the church. Well, next, think about the Acts 6 passage, which we also read earlier. In Acts 6, a disagreement arises in the church. Uh, Some widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution, either of food or of funds. It's actually not clear, but it amounts to the same thing. But again, the apostles have a job to do, and their job is what? Uh, Verse 2 says, uh, preaching the word of God, and verse 4 says, prayer and the ministry of the word. And so their job, like Moses, is actually prayer and preaching. And rather than stop their work to, to sort out the conflict in the church, the apostles have the church appoint, uh, choose seven men whom they then appoint to this task. And this is typically seen in Acts 6 as the birth of the, the diaconal role, uh, the birth of deacons, uh, even though these men here in Acts 6 are not called deacons, they fulfill that function. And notice, if if you look at Exodus 18 and Acts 6, there's almost exact parallels in what's going on. Uh, Moses and the apostles have a job to do, pray and preach, but there are other needs of the community, important needs that must be addressed. And so they have the people select godly men whom they, Moses and the apostles, then appoint to their task. Leadership roles in the church, right, in both of those situations arise out of the practical needs of the people of God. And, of course, this then sets a pattern for us. 
Um, and and the, the way this looks in the PCA and in the denomination that we're a part of is this. In order to enable uh, teaching elders to fulfill their calling to pray and teach, we have ruling elders to help shepherd and deacons to help serve, uh, both of which care for different needs in the body of Christ. And note that in, as in Exodus and in the book of Acts, these officers are chosen by the people through election and then vetted and appointed by existing elders, by existing leaders. I want you to notice something else as, as we think about these two passages uh, in Exodus and Acts. Um, something that is really important, that is that authority, in, in this case uh, church leadership, is never for its own sake. But it's always for the good of others to fulfill the needs of others. Uh, It it was the needs of Israel in the wilderness and the needs of the fledgling church in Acts that called forth the institution of elders and deacons. And this understanding uh, of authority and leadership, right, is ultimately the one exemplified in the gospel, is it not? Uh, Jesus talks about it in Mark chapter 10, which we uh, read earlier, 43 to 45, where Jesus says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, so what is the role of, of authority figures? What is the role of leadership? It is always to serve those entrusted to their care, never to, to use them, never to abuse them, never to be served by them, the way we often think of authority. Uh, but to serve them for their good to meet their needs. That's the role of church leadership. Uh, That's the necessity of church leadership, as we've been talking about it. It arises out of the practical needs of the community. Uh, Second, the qualifications. Uh, This brings us directly to the the 1 Timothy 3 passage. Uh, Again, I would encourage you to go and listen to the sermon on the shepherd's qualifications back uh, from 2017, because I'm not going to say everything here that I said there. Uh, But I'm going to summarize, as we look at 1 Timothy 3, summarize the qualifications of of the overseers slash elders and the deacons under three headings. What qualifies someone for service in the church? Uh, Three things. Again, and um, even as we look at the 1 Timothy 3 passage, it's not exhaustive, right? It doesn't list everything that, that could possibly be said, but uh, we're summarizing it even more, right? But three things, uh, a, a sincere faith, a proven character, both that lead to a good reputation. So a sincere faith, a proven character, and a good reputation. Uh, first, a sincere faith. Uh, th- this is implied here in uh, 1 Timothy for the elder in the word convert in verse 6. Uh, but it's really explicitly t- stated for the deacons in verse 9. Uh, verse 9 says, They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, those who aspire to leadership in the church must have a sincere faith. And, and by sincere, I don't mean that they can believe whatever they want as long as they are sincere, but that their faith is real. First Timothy is a letter written in a particular time and a particular place, and Timothy's uh, opponents, the false teachers in uh, Ephesus did not have a sincere faith. Uh, Paul says at various points they, they had made a shipwreck of their faith, 1 Timothy 1.19, and they had wandered from the faith, 1 Timothy 6.10, and they taught what they taught for financial gain, not because they believed it. Such men, it should be obvious, but it clearly needed to be said in Timothy's day, right, should not be leaders in the church. 
Now look, the truth of the matter is, most Christians will have doubts at times. Even church leaders will have doubts at times. And maybe you yourself are struggling with believing everything the scriptures say, and that's okay, right? People struggle. That of it, in and of itself, right? That doesn't make you not a Christian to have struggles. That makes you human. But those who are to be church leaders must be those who hold the mystery of the faith, who believe in the revealed gospel of God's Son. At the heart of Christianity is a message a message of God's love for the world, sending his son to bear sin, defeat death, and make all things new. And church leaders must believe that message without reservation because that is the heart of who we are. And they must do so, verse 9 says, with a clear conscience, which really brings us to my second summary qualification for church leaders. Church leaders must have a sincere faith and, second, a proven character. You know, it doesn't matter how many times one reads these lists of qualifications, what stands out the most is this, that Paul is concerned about character. He does not say church leaders must have a, a certain degree or, or, a, or business acumen or a charismatic personality. He says church leaders must be, uh, verse 2, uh, above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And then again in verse 8, he says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. See, see, what is it that qualifies one for church leadership? It's a godly character. It's spiritual maturity. Now, that doesn't mean that every spiritually mature person is called to leadership, right? They're, They're not. It's a calling. But no one is called to church leadership if they are not spiritually mature. In fact, Paul repeatedly emphasizes the importance of godly character for church leaders by using the word must. You you see it uh, in in our passage and in other passages in Paul's letters to to Timothy and Titus again and again. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.2, he says an overseer must be above reproach. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Titus 1.7, he says, an overseer as God's steward must, again, be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And you can likely see, I think, why this is so important. Otherwise, it makes a mockery of the faith we profess. We, we must, again, verse 9... We must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. If we teach one thing but live another, our conscience will not be clear. It will condemn us as hypocrites. And this is not to say that church leaders must be perfect. Uh, Part of the faith we believe is found in 1 John 1, 8, where it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We, We know that we're sinful. We know that we are broken. But we must not give ourselves over to that, right? This means that there is a certain amount of maturity in the faith necessary for church leadership. And this is why Paul says in verse 6 that that, uh, an overseer must not be a recent convert. Paul doesn't list a number of years. He doesn't say he must have been a Christian for X number of years. But he wants to see maturity. He wants to see proven character. And, and, And proven, as verse 10 says... Uh, proven, right? Let them also be tested first, 
then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Right? Let them also, that phrase probably means like the overseers, right? so that both overseers, elders, and deacons were to be tested. Uh, but Paul isn't talking about, when he's talking about testing them, he isn't talking about a theology exam, uh, though there would be nothing wrong with that, uh, be, because he says they must prove themselves blameless. Right? He, he wants their lives to look a certain way. And to know that, to really know that about someone takes time, right? Character takes time to see. It must be lived out over the long haul. This is why Paul says later in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5.22, he says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And he goes on to say in, in uh, 1 Timothy 5.24 to 25, the sins of some people are conspicuous, uh, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. In other words, sometimes it's obvious, he's saying, but other times it takes time for someone's character to become clear. Don't rush the process. We're looking for a sincere faith and a proven character over time. Third, a good reputation. Now, this, this follows from the other two. Someone who has a sincere faith and a proven character will tend to have a good reputation as well. Uh, but it's worth noting because Paul gives it such emphasis, which is maybe a little odd to us because we, we tend to shy away from talking about the importance of reputation. But Paul does not. His first qualification for overseers is above reproach, right? meaning it, it, no one can charge him with uh, living in any kind of sin. Again, it doesn't mean he's not sinful. It doesn't mean he's perfect but that he's living a life that's above reproach. Uh, in the middle, he says he must be respectable. At the end, he says he must be well thought of by outsiders. Uh, deacons, similarly, he says in verse 8, must be dignified. Why this emphasis on one's appearance? Why this emphasis on what other people see and think? Uh, well, there's probably at least three reasons. Uh, the first, you'll notice, uh, in this whole passage of qualifications, Paul doesn't say much about the heart. You might wonder, well, well, why not, Paul? I mean, isn't the heart important? Uh, don't, don't you want leaders whose hearts are pure? Almost everything Paul mentions, almost everything, is outward and observable. Why so? Well, how do you know what is in the heart? You can't see the heart, so how do you know what is in the heart? Uh, well, as Jesus says, from within, out of the heart, come our words and actions. Right? If you want to know what is in someone's heart, right, look at their behavior. That comes from somewhere. That flows from somewhere. And so often one's reputation, not always, but often one's reputation is a good indicator of the condition of their soul. It's at least a place to start. When people think of you, what do they think of? Why do they think of that? Second, as Peter encourages in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, church leaders are to be examples to the flock. And examples of sinners saved by grace, absolutely, uh, but examples of sinners growing in holiness, learning to walk in a manner pleasing to Jesus. And so people need to be able to look at their life and say, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so it must be evident to all. So Paul emphasizes above reproach, well thought of. The third reason that Paul emphasizes reputation, I think, is this, that the reputation of Christ and the church is on the line. The reputation in the world of Christ and his church rises and falls with the behavior of Christ's people, does it not? 
I mean, Paul repeatedly encourages upright behavior, uh, quote, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. That's 1 Timothy 6.1. Or, or that the word of God may not be reviled. That's Titus 2.5. And this is true of all Christians, but how much more is it true of church leaders? I mean, think about it, right? Just, just be honest for a moment. When you hear about a church leader failing, which if you listen to the news, it happens all the time. When you hear about a church leader failing, aren't you at least tempted to think less of his church or to blame his church or, or to think things like, well, if his theology were a little better, then he wouldn't have fallen in this way. And of course, that's within the church that we're tempted to think that. Think about what the world thinks. Think about what those outside the church think. When, when they see church leaders fail, the name of Christ is on the line. Church leaders must be those who have a good reputation with outsiders. Now, again, we, we all fail to some degree. Uh, that, that gives us an opportunity to repent and to point people to grace. Uh, I, I will fail, right? I, I will fail. There's no if. Uh, I'm not saying I'm going to have some big scandal, right? This is not uh, confession time, right? Uh, but, but I am sinful, right? And I am imperfect, and I will fail you all at times. I need grace as much as you do. Uh, we're not looking for perfect men, but men who walk with Jesus in their imperfection. And so that's the, the necessity of church leadership. It arises out of the, the practical needs of the community. And the, the qualifications of church leadership are at, at, at base, right, a sincere faith, a proven character, and a good reputation. And finally, the role of church leadership. Uh, we, we started out saying that the, the goal of church leadership was to equip the saints for ministry or service. Our, our job is to help you live a life of love. And now I want to break that down briefly, but in slightly more detail. Uh, we've been talking about qualifications for church leadership very generally, uh, but there are two leadership roles in the passage, the office of overseer, verse 1, and deacon, verse 8. Uh, now, uh, deacons' wives are also mentioned in verse 11, uh, not, it doesn't seem, as a separate role. Uh, they're mentioned in the middle of an explanation of the requirements for deacons, but because the, the work of the deacon, as, as we will see, and if you study the work of the deacon more, you will see, being the practical work that it is would likely often involve his wife working alongside him uh, in that work of service. And so we have overseers, uh, who in the book of Titus, Paul also calls elders, and we have deacons. So first, overseers. Uh, we, we might call them shepherd leaders. Uh, as we look here in 1 Timothy 3 and throughout scriptures, the shepherd leaders have three main roles, uh, prayer, preaching, and pastoral oversight. Uh, two are implied in our text. Overseers must be apt to teach, right? They, they must understand and be able to communicate the gospel. And they must manage their household well so that they might care for God's church. Uh, now, these three roles, prayer and preaching and pastoral oversight, uh, are not new to the New Testament. Uh, we've already seen them a little bit, right? Moses prayed and taught and judged God's people. And by judgment, we should read, bringing wise counsel to bear on difficult situations. Uh, the Old Testament priest and prophet Samuel exemplified this. He was a judge in Israel. In fact, he, he traveled throughout Israel year by year to offer his counsel, exemplifying his pastoral oversight of a nation, and at one point, Samuel said to God's people in 1 Samuel 12, 23, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you 
and I will instruct you in the good and the right way, exemplifying prayer and preaching. Again, the apostles refused to give up preaching to wait on tables. Rather, they devoted themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the ministry of the apostles in Acts was, of course, not only public teaching, but also house to house, exemplifying the ministry of pastoral care. And this is the way that shepherds, the, the elders and overseers of the church, equip the church for a life of love, to live a life worthy of the gospel, and to use their own gifts for God's glory. We, we help you make much of God as you go out to serve others in love by administering his grace to you through prayer and preaching and pastoral care. Now, there's so much more that I would love to say about that, but I need to keep going. So again, I'll just keep referring you back to those other sermons, uh, which you can find online. Deacons, so that's elders, overseers, shepherd leaders. Deacons we might call servant leaders. Uh, the Greek word for deacon actually just means servant. And deacons focus not on, on pastoral care, but on practical care. It's maybe not perfect wording because pastoral care is practical, but uh, the point is this, as we see in Acts chapter 6, deacons focused on the practical needs of God's people. In that case, distributing food or funds to those in need to free up the apostles for the ministry of word and prayer. And so the ministry of deacons today is to care for the practical needs of the church, uh, whether that is the ministry of mercy toward those who have physical needs in the church, like the widows of Acts 6, or whether that is other practical needs we might have, like caring for our building or figuring out how to best mitigate COVID risk during a pandemic, right? These kinds of very practical, tangible things would be the work of deacons. So the ministry of shepherd leaders, elders, overseers is prayer and preaching and pastoral care. And the ministry of servant leaders, the deacons, is the practical care for the needs of the people of God. Now, I'd like to think that everyone in this room loves this stuff as much as I do. But realistically, I know that that's probably not true. And so let me remind you of how this relates to the gospel. Jesus cares for his sheep. He, he loves his people. He wants to care for us, to provide for our needs. And the way he does that practically day by day is through his people. He shepherds us through under shepherds. He serves us through under servants. Shepherd and servant leaders are an expression of Jesus' loving care for his church. And so do you, do you know Jesus as your shepherd, right? The good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. If not, of course, let me encourage you, right, to get to know him, to study his word, to spend time with his people, to seek out his shepherding through under shepherds. Let us point you to Jesus. But if you do know Jesus as your shepherd, then let me encourage you to, to accept his shepherding care by placing yourself in a gospel-preaching church and receiving his grace through the ministry of shepherd and servant leaders for your good and for his glory. And finally, of course, let me ask you to pray for us, right? As a church, pray for us as we enter into the nomination process, as we seek to add additional elders and, and for the first time, deacons uh, to our church. But also pray for us as leaders as we seek to shepherd and serve as Christ would have us for your good and for his glory. Would you pray with me? Our Father, it's, it's maybe not what we came to, uh, expected to come to think about this morning, the, 
the role of elders and deacons and how that fits into the church. But I pray that uh, you would help us to see in this, uh, again, a sign of your care for your people, that you, you have not left us alone, but you've brought us into a community, and you, you haven't left us as a community to ourselves, but you have, it, you have given us uh, a structure that we would be able to live together with one another and encourage one another and build one another up in a way that brings you glory and honor. Father, uh, help us to, to see your shepherding care in this and to give thanks and praise to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.